0: Brooklinen makes shifting seasons something to look forward to. If you're like me, I'm not a fan of the winter cold. I like to do small things throughout our home to make a harsh winter as comfortable as possible. But with Brooklinen, you can find everything you need for a home refresh with award-winning sheets, comforters, and all the accessories in between. And y'all, the awards are deserved. Last week, we refreshed our bed with a new comforter sheets and pillowcases. And oh my goodness, our bed now feels like it actually truly has hotel-worthy bedding. Quality always counts when it comes to rest and relaxation, so Brooklinen only trusts the best materials to help you unwind. Count on the best weaves and construction for favorites you keep on coming back to. And Brooklinen has sleeped down to a science and thought of all the details to help you find your match. Their comforters in particular come in three weights, lightweight, all season, and ultra warm to make sure you get exactly what you need at bedtime. And now is the time to invest in your space because the comforter sale is here. That's right, for a limited time, Brooklinen is offering 15% off of comforters. And while you're at it, check out their bundles. Seriously, they're fantastic. Listening after the sale? Visit brooklinen.com today and use code Wear for $20 off plus free shipping. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com, code Wear.
1: On this week's episode of Where We Are, Melissa and I will talk about the Biden administration's promising start to 2023 Uh, and the potential canary in the coal mine that came up this week that might mitigate their success. Plus, importantly, I'll come clean about my relationship to another bird. This is where we are. The end of the weekend, but I still welcome, welcome. You're listening to Where We Are. I'm Michael Ware.
0: I'm Melissa Ware.
1: And it is, uh, oh, as always, really wonderful to, to be with you. We, you Melissa, we kind of like talked throughout the week about what the episode's going to be about. And on mm-hmm. Monday, uh, we saw, I think it was on Monday, we saw the first poll in like... Uh, since I, th- I believe October of mm-hmm. 2021 that showed President Biden at 50 percent. Yep. It, now for listeners of this podcast, you'll you predicted that. You'll know that uh, we suggested that President Biden would reach 50 plus in the first hundred days uh, of the next Congress. And uh, he did it in a significant poll. We'll see if other polls sort of reaffirm it, but it's a, it's a significant milestone. We're going to talk about how he got there. And, you know, I think even before that poll came out, I was seeing some of the moves the Biden administration was making mm-hmm. and thought, oh, yeah, this is coming together exactly how I <laughs> sort of thought it would. It, mm-hmm. This has freed them up. So we're going to talk about that. Um, we're going to talk about, as I said, the canary in the coal mine, which is this uh, this investigation mm-hmm. uh, uh, that the DOJ has into Biden for classified documents. Sound familiar? And we'll we'll unpack that. But I mentioned in the opening, Melissa, not a. Not a canary. But a cockatoo. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, folks. Earlier this week, so I have a Google alert for, for many different things. And one of them is Michael's name, just for anytime he's mentioned in an article or an interview, things like that. And I got a Google alert earlier this week about a man named Michael Ware in California, 35 years old, who stole a cockatoo a $2,500 cockatoo from an aviary center. And pretty much every day, I would get a new Google alert about this dude named Michael Ware out in California and this saga of this cockatoo being returned to the aviary and Michael Ware getting busted for having stolen it. And I sent it off to Michael on, I think it was Monday, and I I said, this is the best Google alert I've ever gotten. And I'm married to a criminal. Or... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the criminals doppelganger in terms of well name. I mean what what is it called when you have the same name? I don't even know.
1: Yeah. Twin? Th- there is like a there is I'm sure there's a word for it. I don't know it. Look We all know I love birds. Hmm? Uh
0: It would be plausible for you to be this man.
1: Yeah, that's a thing. Like I think it might just like uh that dimensions are colliding uh, and weaving. Yeah. That this is You but from me, another dimension. But from another dimension. A yeah. slightly
0: more felonious dimension.
1: Yes. <laughs> and I just wanna say, I don't know who we should be praying for in this situation. Michael, the cockatoo. Seems like the cockatoo is fine.
0: Yeah. It see, yeah, the cockatoo was fine, it says.
1: Um I mean, they said the cockatoo was worth 2500 3500 when I mean, it was stolen. That's an I think now, costume. with its brand being what it is, you got to think it's gonna worth even more. Someone's going to sign that bird. Someone's
0: going to sign that bird. <laughs> going to get it stored. <laughs> get the exclusive. a record deal. Yeah, a record contract. <laughs> get the
1: exclusive interview. Uh, modeling, modeling contract mm-hmm. for the cockatoo. Uh, so we've, we've just gotten a kick out of this all week. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I'm gonna be
0: sad when the alerts end.
1: It, it is. I mean, we need to figure out how to keep keep the story going. How, what what kind of um, what kind of pitches can we give to reporters about why this is the story can of the we, month?
0: Can we bring Michael Ware 2.0 on the podcast? <laughs> 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 Let's see if he knows anything about politics. Can we? <laughs> or if in the other dimension, he's just a felon.
1: <laughs> we, we travel across the country to visit him in prison and do a, a live... In the
0: slammer.
1: Yeah, live from Alcatraz. <laughs> 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 With the cockatoo, cockatoo criminal. The, the photo of
0: the cockatoo, do you know this cockatoo? <laughs> Have you ever seen this cockatoo? Have you been oh, framed?
1: Man. We're laughing, but really... Um, Life's got to be uh, pretty not going, weird. Not going pretty weird. too well. It's <laughs> pretty to weird be to steal cockatoo. Stealing a cockatoo. I mean, um, yeah. But, yeah. So, I mean, I think we've given, you, I, we've given you all the information you need. I mean, I... I,
0: I you can go look it up.
1: I, yeah, but if you do, uh, uh, then it becomes your problem. Uh, listener, uh, so I I, I, th- I think you have all the cockatoo thief information that you possibly need. I it's I, not I would, on
0: my bingo card this year.
1: <laughs> I would recommend that you you know enjoy the last you know five minutes for what it was and c- totally forget about about this. Although then again, that is what the real cockatoo thief would would say.
0: Yeah. <laughs> have you been in contact?
1: No, no, no,
0: no, no. Anyways,
1: no, Melissa. I think we could squeeze at least another three minutes. No, I'm just kidding. Let's okay. let's move on. It's it has been enough. uh, <laughs> uh so yeah, Melissa. Let's. I, I think the just sort of like a a recap, right? So again, for listeners of the podcast, my theory of uh, the uh, President Biden, as a politician, for the Biden administration, uh, generally, especially now heading into the second half of their term and towards twenty twenty four, has been that that uh, Biden historically, his entire career, has been someone who has. Uh, Been in the the center of the Democratic Party. That, that's a that's become a conventional sort of take, and I agree with it. That's not sort of mine. I, I think what I hadn't seen for a long time is folks, analysts uh, diagnosing his political trouble uh you know low approval ratings etc to the fact that he has not had a foil mm-hmm. in congress mm-hmm. uh now obviously and i think we're going to talk about this later there are some downsides and real risks to having politically speaking right so we're not talking about policy obviously if you're a democratic president You want a Democratic Congress. If you're a Republican president, you want a Republican Congress. Um, And I'm not even suggesting that Biden necessarily wanted, actually categorically, I could say the Biden administration did not want Republicans to win the House. But politically, what I am suggesting is that for the first two years of the Biden administration, President Biden has had no one to negotiate with uh, except for his own party. And so any disagreement is dividing his base.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: um any disagreement uh and you know with the exception of Mansion, Cinema, etc., he, he has not had uh, He's not been able to say for the first two years to the left wing of his party, "Look, I can't go where you want me to go," because how are we going to get that through a Republican House or a Republican Senate? He's he's had to negotiate with his own party, and he's had to um, advance arguments that would that were primarily focused on keeping his party unified and keeping his left flank sort of with him. With a Republican House, it gives him a clear opposition. It allows him, it gives him something to point to, to the like the, uh, Republican leadership is not just a hypothetical. Uh, he's able to point to what Republicans are doing in the House and sort of react to and sort of operate um sort of uh, triangulating off of that point and so i i thought politically speaking yes it was going to bring challenges going to bring investigations uh gonna be harder to get significant legislation through we've talked about that last week and all the challenges uh, speaker mccarthy is going to have um, but i thought there was going to be some political upside and i think we were seeing that not just the poll numbers melissa again you hit 50% for the first time in well over a year uh, but we saw uh, the biden we saw the biden administration making some of the moves that we've on this podcast have said like you know why did it take so long for them to really Kind of get behind the infrastructure bill. Well, what were they doing? Well, the Republicans were in disarray and uh, going through uh, roll call votes to try and figure out who would lead them. President Biden was out with Senator, McCar- uh, uh, Senator McConnell, mm-hmm. the Republican leader, and a bipartisan coalition uh, around a, bri- a bridge opening. Sort yeah, of this to highlight, the to highlight how bipartisan. Uh, uh action can benefit Americans we saw President Biden um, uh, go to the border and uh, address immigration uh, this week in a way that seems well actually Melissa let me t- let, let me turn it to you mm-hmm. for you to give. something of an overview of all the immigration sort of activity this week and then and then we could we could talk about what it means and what the biden administration was 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 seeking to do there
0: yes michael there since the beginning of the new year there have been a few different moves by the biden biden administration on immigration now where i want to start is on january 5th when biden gave some remarks um, issuing new crackdowns on migrants coming to the border without a documented means Um, This is a movement for those seeking asylum from places like Haiti, Cuba, Nicaragua, and Venezuela, but through Mexico. Um, You know, uh, since he made that announcement, human rights groups, you know, were criticizing that move. Um, It came just before El Paso. Um, But in his remarks, he said this, My message is this, if you're trying to leave Cuba, Nicaragua, or Haiti, or have agreed to begin a journey to America, do not, do not just show up at the border. Very interesting. Um, now, in terms of like this whole bipartisan shift, uh, what he what then the Biden administration did was to offset these new restrictions. He announced that the U.S. would start accepting as many as thirty thousand people per month from all four of those countries, as long as um, the migrants coming from those countries meet a certain amount of criteria. Now, fast forward to just a few days later, President Biden, before he has to viz- visit a a summit in Mexico for a leader summit. He stops in El Paso, Texas, right at the border. Now, El Paso receives the most amount of migrants um, trying to cross the border than any of the other southern, you know, uh, border crossing areas. So, El Paso is very busy. It's very much the epicenter. You've got, um, you know the governor on down through state representatives on both sides asking the president for the past two years to come because all of them in some sort of way agree that this is a crisis at the border, that there are far too many people trying to seek access to the United States. Again, bipartisan, meaning that, you know, Democratic representative like Veronica Escobar, who um, she called like these latest new measures just temporary Band-Aids and wants Congress to also pass some bills, some actual... um, Uh, you know, bipartisan immigration reform. So, you know, he's got both Republicans and Democrats calling on him to do more. So he visited the border. He visited, um, you know, several different major sites to see how things were going, to ask questions. Um, So we have that going on. His very first visit to the border as president. Now, this also comes amongst the time of Title 42 and the things going on with Title 42. Now, Title 42 is a clause of the 1944 public health services law, and it allows the government to prevent the introduction of individuals during certain public health emergencies. So Title 42 was enacted during the Trump administration because of the coronavirus. They used it um, to turn people away from the border um, at a time of COVID because they said that anybody coming from a country which had COVID um, could not be allowed in the country, which is basically literally everywhere.
1: And just uh, not to in- interrupt, but just it, its uh, uh, advocates um, dispute the uh, rationale that Title Forty Two yes. is required. The, yes. So, so uh, there is a oh, debate about whether Title Forty Two. Um, uh, whether COVID was what is a plausible rationale for Title Forty Two, or whether it was just an excuse or sort of a yes. uh, a uh, 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 a way to justify the policy. Thanks yeah. for that
0: context because it's extremely important. Immigration policy in this country right now, I view it as a total lightning rod. There are just so many different advocates on either side who will argue up one side and down the other that their viewpoint. Um, is the one that makes the most sense or you know this policy is draconian or this policy is exactly what this country needs it's a immigration policy is an absolute mess right now i would say so we've title 42 and back in december the supreme court before it took a break um upheld title 42 uh, meaning that the biden administration will have to keep title 42 restrictions in place whereas the biden administration had been signaling that it, w- it wanted to basically take title 42 away um, especially because a lot of you know people at the base were telling Biden that you know this this law you know was bunk in the first place, and/or it was inhumane um, for turning everybody away at the border, and was part of the cause of why there were so many kids detained. You know, you remember all throughout the Trump administration, the the images, the stories coming out of kids being detained. It's because so many were being coming over the border and parents being returned, but kids staying, kind of thing. So the Supreme Court is upholding Title 42 for now, and it was just for two more months until the Supreme Court will meet again on Title 42, and we will see if they continue to uphold it or if they strike it down. So what? We're talking, uh, we're in January right now, so we're talking about next month in February, the Supreme Court will meet on Title 42 again. So that's what's going on right now in immigration, at least the most recent things. Um, And this comes at a time when, what, at the end of 2022, 2023, we were hearing through reporters, um, you know, coming out of the uh, White House that the White House was gearing up for 2023 being the year of bipartisanship and for immigration to be one of the key issues that they would like to tackle before 2024. And I mean, immigration... For at least for Republicans, when you look at um, Republicans uh, being pulled across the country, immigration is one of the top concerns. So for Biden, if he were to get, you know Congress to actually work on some legislation this year, it could be a huge win just before 2024 um, and would definitely boost his bipartisan um, credentials, especially for independents and, you know, Republicans whom uh, uh, could swing. Um, over towards a Biden-type vote. Michael, do you have anything you want to add here to immigration, or do you want to move on to one of the other bipartisan issues we've seen pop up?
1: Yeah, look, I mean, so right, the trajectory on immigration politics over the last 20 years is just so interesting. We started the century with a Republican president who spent years pushing for comprehensive immigration reform, Mm -hmm. who pulled uh, like a dozen and a half uh, members of his party to vote for, at least to vote for, uh, uh, in the Senate, to vote for things like the DREAM Act. Obviously, significant Republicans in the house you know elect uh, elected republicans were pushing comprehensive immigration reform at the same time you had democrats talking about immigration in say 2006 2008 uh with you know really moderate language and um talking about border security and mm-hmm. and sort of taking as obvious that uh, controlling the border is part of what makes a nation a nation and, mm-hmm. and all of those kinds of things. And, you know, like fast forward, uh, you know, 10 years from that, so obviously like 2016... You have, uh, or th- th- thereabouts. You have on the left an abolish ice movement. Abolish ice was a bit later, so so getting near approaching the twenty twenty election. But you have sort of abolish ice during the Trump administration on the left. Uh, uh, that significant politicians, Senator Gillibrand, has sort of advanced it for. Uh, a point. And then, obviously, you had you had Trump, who was not George W. Bush on comprehensive immigration reform, who was using things like Title 42 not as a, um. You know, Trump's rhetoric around border security is was not. This is a, a sort of sober. Uh, you know, w- w- we we just can't have. Uh, unlimited immigration. He he didn't use sort of sober rhetoric. It was heated, xenophobic uh, rhetoric that sought to put immigration at the center of sort of culture war politics. uh, Republicans were running entire campaign ads around the idea that... uh, uh, gangs and fentanyl and all, all of this so immigration just became um, not that it was easy during the bush years but became sort of a toxic emotional um, culture war sort of issue now what I think some I think what that obscured was the fact that it's a First and foremost, like a logistical bureaucratic morass. Mm-hmm. Like, like this is uh, like our immigration system, and this was like the 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 line that was, you know, would would be said on both sides of the aisle in two thousand six, two thousand seven, two thousand eight like our immigration system is broken. And that's not just like a saying, like a cute, it, uh, it, our immigration system is broken. So, Melissa, like my, I I think what I'm, um, because we've lost sight of the fact that this is, um, yes, obviously there are moral implications of of what policies in place, uh, are in place, of what the general thrust of uh, what's motivating American policymakers on these issues. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that's, that's there. But it's almost like we've centered that too much, or so much so that, to speak plainly, when progressives were opposing Trump, it was like anything Trump did on immigration wasn't just the wrong approach, but like a 180 degrees of what any moral, morally sane person would do. And what that has led to is this real problem for Democrats now, which is now they're in control and they're seeing... Uh, the fact that it is still a priority for the federal government to control the border. It's still a priority for the federal government, uh, to not allow unrestrained, massive illegal immigration. But when the Biden administration says that, (laughs) uh, when the Biden administration says that, uh, conservatives say, look, Biden is saying that, too. It shows that all the attacks of Trump were disingenuous. And then Democrats who only start, you know, those who only who believe the immigration debate started with Trump are like, wait, why are we continuing anything that Trump did? Biden I think stepped into that and understands that the immigration issue it certainly didn't win the midterms for uh for Republicans in 2022 as we've talked about you actually saw Democrats perform better in places like texas than expected that they were able to win some significant races there whereas in 2020 we we saw some some signs for concern for democrats but they seem to uh you know re- recover there um uh my take on sort of what the biden administration is doing here is is they've uh, a i think they want to keep legislation in play um and then B, politically, they need to, they, they don't want to be figuring out their footing on immigration uh, in 2024.
0: Mm-mm. No, they need the, it done now.
1: They want to figure out, obviously, they'd love to have legislation passed that gives the federal government tools to address our broken immigration system, Uh but short of federal legislation they at least i think need to solidify their political posture on the issue they need to solidify that uh yes and i think here here is here's is the decision the biden administration is making which politically speaking i think is the the i think is an apt one uh, which is The the advocacy groups are never going to be satisfied Mm -hmm. by a plausible approach on this issue. And I think what the Biden administration is trying to do is say, we're going to stop playing. Obviously, they're going to keep meeting with all the groups. Uh, Obviously, I'm not saying uh, sort of uh, their... uh, there's going to be a cold shoulder, but I just think the focus of the Biden administration's and the Biden political team's approach to immigration is not going to be, frankly, unlike some other issues, like we need to have the the influencers happy with what we're doing. I think they want to stake out a position that 70% of Americans can support. And basically that position uh, is... Uh, enhanced increased tools for uh, uh, for border enforcement and border se- border security, and increased uh, uh, avenues for uh, legal immigration, including addressing uh, those who immigrated here Ill- illegally undocumented immigrants, uh here uh providing a pathway to citizenship uh, you pull those things and you're you're gonna get sixty five seventy percent so uh so yeah i think it's a um yeah so, so melissa what's 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 your do you think the biden administration was Successful or moving in the right direction politically speaking, and then and then also, you know, you you've written and done a lot of work on immigration. Feel free to obviously speak on the policy side, but but what do you think about over the last ten days the Biden administration's approach here?
0: Uh, I mean. On immigration, I'll be—I'll be very forthright with you, listeners. I'm very liberal on, on immigration. She is. She's, yeah. um, so I, I'll just put that out there because I know that a bunch of you will definitely disagree with me um, with you know the different things I'm about to talk about. But Biden, say it. The Biden say what's on your heart. <laughs> um, you know, uh, up to up until a couple months ago, before you know the Supreme Court, you know, upheld Title 42, the Biden administration gave all kinds of signals that they didn't want Title 42 anymore, and then you know about you know what. Well, however many long nine days ago on that Thursday, Biden is giving remarks um, that these anybody from these four countries, there's going to be a crackdown. And if you're going to try to come through Mexico from any of these countries, please do not come. It just sounds like Title 42 just being reinforced. So it doesn't quite line up uh, for me in terms of like, okay, what are your actual intentions and how are the policy, you know, what are we going to actually see policy-wise based on what you say? If you say like, oh, you don't want Title 42 anymore a couple months ago, and now you're saying that you want an actual crackdown, there's just a mismatch here. And I kind of want to know where do you actually stand to the administration, just so I have clarity. Um I mean, speaking to the broken the broken immigration system issue, the closest I've ever gotten to the system, which isn't terribly close, was I, I did FOIA policy at the State Department for um, six years, and I was assigned to mostly to immigration issues. So I have seen the belly of the beast at work, and oh my goodness, I. I worked on it for six years, and at the end of six years, I still couldn't tell you exactly how the system got through day to day. It it was so complex. Um, so I just I just want I just want to say that. But you know, I, I think about other things that the government does. Um, this is I'm very careful when I make comparisons because a lot of times they're not perfect comparisons, and then you sort of it's, it turns into an ad hominem. But. Um, you know, we just recently saw how the Department of Education was able to create a student loan debt system quite quickly. That almost felt like it was wrong because it was so simple and so easy to do. Um, so we could, you can see, the federal government at various times actually work pretty efficiently and quickly, and in a way that isn't confusing to the user or to the customer, whomever, the citizen, whomever you want to call it, or to the undocumented person. Our systems should be as easy as possible. So that people can cross the border, especially those who are fleeing and running from situations that will otherwise kill them. And when it comes to like you know the four countries that you know Biden said you know there would be a crackdown on, and you know he told you know do not come through Mexico, like Venezuela, or Haiti. Uh, these countries are all experiencing extreme crises. People are dying. People don't have ways to sustain their lives or the lives of their children. And so, you know, I, I hear people when they say we need more border security because we can't just have, you know, they use all kinds of water metaphors like flows and, you know, waves and, you know, things that sound scary and dangerous. And a good part of me in a, like a utopian world would always, I will always wonder what it would be like if we had less of a broken immigration system and a border where when people come up to it, They're registered fairly quickly, and we have centers that are actually humane for people to stay at just a couple of days because the system works through them quick to get them through it as fast as humanly possible so that You'd actually need a lot less border security because people know that it's going to go right the first time when they try to attempt to come over, and things will go as they hope that it will because they have a couple of papers, they have their reasons, and they have you know just the clothing on their back kind of thing. I always wonder what would happen in a system that actually works logistically as best as it possibly can for a very large government, what border security would look like then because people know that when they head to El Paso, they won't... Wonder if they're going to get turned back, and their kids are going to be taken over, or you know if they're going to have to cross through a, an area near El Paso that's very dangerous, and one of their family members is going to you know fall to dehydration. Do you know what? I, do you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, no, totally. Um, and so I would like for our immigration system to receive a lot of attention, a lot of funding, so that people who are seeking a life that they can actually sustain, can seek it here. I want to, I'm the type of person who says, let them all in. I want to welcome everybody. We, we need to put the money into a system that will allow us to do that. So that, you know, again, like I'm also one of those people who, you know, I, I just think a lot less about security of the border and just think more about yeah. the security of the person coming over.
1: Yeah, no. So uh, I think, um, You know, it is not, um, like, the culture, the political culture around this issue Mm -hmm. is not something we should treat as, like, inconsequential. Mm -hmm. So, like, I'm not sure... If I agree with everything you just said, (laughs) but um, I'm hearing, like, people say, look, Trump used Title 42, Biden is using Title 42, Mm -hmm. even though, again, I just want to be clear here, Uh, the administration has... advocated in court for title 42 uh to uh to be expired in december they they said they still want it gone Mm -hmm. but to get to but to lift it immediately would would have some uh negative consequences Mm -hmm. but well well, you know put that put that aside there's been this argument that like well if if they're turning away folks at the border, who cares how they do it? And, you know, I want to say, I as, as an American, it matters like a great deal to me how they do it. Mm-hmm. It matters a great deal if uh, we have political leaders who seem to take a pleasure in, um, in uh, making... The immigration process less humane, Mm -hmm. and whether we have leaders who say, "Look, uh, um, you know, we 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 can't accept uh, uh, everyone." The the situation is not ideal. We want to work to improve it for everyone. Like it's easy to dismiss all of that as just rhetoric, and uh, um, but. On this issue, I think rhetoric matters a great deal. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, like I want to.
0: That's been my shtick for over a decade now. Rhetoric, the way we talk about these things, is one of the most consequential things that we could possibly do in this entire policy. And it's because of the decades of how we've actually talked about immigration, which has you know ingrained itself in sort of the American minds that. In a way that just, again, it's why I mentioned what I said at the very end. It allows your average American citizen, whomever, to think of migrants as avatars. Yes. And that deeply matters for how people vote. That deeply matters for when there's public opinion polling, which then affects what politicians do and say because they want to follow their constituents and want to get reelected again. Um, and what, how policies are actually written—the actual tit for tat, the line by line in a policy, and how it's written—because, yes, because, um, you know, collectively members of Congress will want to reflect um, the sort of uh, the you know what they're seeing coming out of you know either the media, the American Republic, the whole the whole soup, the whole stew that's going on. So, rhetoric and language, particularly with this policy. I would say is the number one most consequential thing that um, affects it right now, um, and we we have seen this for for quite a while.
1: Right. So there is, there is like a consequential difference between uh, we need to stop uh, illegal crossings of the border um, because. I mean, basically, right? Like, "quote unquote," these people are out to harm you and your children. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, a nation needs—we need to stop illegal crossings at the border because a nation needs secure borders, and we need to establish uh, uh, a, a process that allows us to maintain security. Will also provide, you know, like, the, like and then, there's a and then you'll, the, the, there's a the the, yeah. the emotional impact. And, and and the the how um, how it sets up a uh, a healthy policy debate about immigration between those two approaches is is you know vast. Mm-hmm.
0: And then you'll get um, sort of how people will then argue that or a counterpoint. They'll say you know we need to be allowing people in because you know demographically. Uh, uh, migrants are more likely to have more children per family and will contribute to our economy and it just starts to sort of put like again in, in a very different way but it sort of puts like a very um just sort utilitarian, of utilitarian utilitarian sort of, yeah. uh it, it it still makes the migrant out to be an avatar yeah out to be something to be used right um which again just is not it for me
1: yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Uh, but so so i mean i think just to recap and that's and,
0: even if those things are true yeah. by the way
1: no yeah no it, maybe we'll do a immigration episode i mean yeah, if i'm you're sure we will let it, yeah it, yeah let us know if you're interested in more on the substance i think we raised the issue on this episode more on the political side um i think uh surely i think I think immigration legislation is likely to be considered at least in the Senate. Yeah. And that'll for provide sure. a, a good opportunity for us to get more into the policy weeds and maybe even bring on a guest. And the um, way we'll
0: see it in the House will I mean, as long as McCarthy stays speaker for more than a week, uh, he's promised border security to come up and we'll yeah, have to see. Right. If it so yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. But but so um, so we need to talk more about the policy just to sort of wrap up on the on the political side um, I, I thought we 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 saw the beginning of a Biden pivot toward re-election mm-hmm. in how we approach this issue. Yes, and exactly. I think trying sort of to
0: thread the needle.
1: Th- trying to thread the needle. Trying to take a position that even if it would get criticism from advocacy groups, uh, it which is, which is at. not which is not nothing. You know, like if. If no one's supporting your policy, uh, if no one's speaking out, then it doesn't matter if, like, hypothetically, or or it doesn't matter as much as it should that seventy percent of the American people agree with your position. If uh, if those who are actually engaged <laughs> d- don't support it, then mm-hmm. uh, then you can still be in a political bind. But I I think. Um, I think the Biden administration and the Biden political team took a, a really important step uh, uh, these f- first couple of weeks of the year, not just in positioning on immigration, but in addressing what will be a significant issue, whether it's Trump, whether it's DeSantis. I mean, I think it's um, I, I kind of seriously doubt I, I think. Um, the Republican nominee in 2024. There are sort of m- many different positions they could take on a range of issues. Uh, I don't think we're going to have a, pro- a pro-immigration uh, Republican nominee, <laughs> and no. so like like I like if, I think if our it's, top
0: two choices are DeSantis or Trump. Well, and yeah. that could
1: change. I'm just saying. It, it could, I'm just saying for sure. in a Republican primary. I just I I, I just really. Doubt that that whoever it produces mm-hmm. is going to be pro immigration. Yes. So the Biden administration uh, has to has to uh, have a story to tell to the American people about that. And so they did that. Uh, we also saw interestingly uh, uh, President Biden
0: in the Wall Street Journal in
1: the Wall Street Journal headline: Republicans and Democrats. Unite against big tech abuses,
0: and it's an op-ed by it's the president. an op-ed
1: by President Biden in the Wall Street Journal. So, like the Wall Street Journal, uh, edit, uh, you know, op-ed pages where Democrats go if they really want to signal, uh, hey, I'm trying to reach Republicans. <laughs> um, Best s- signal, <laughs> yeah. The, the subhead here is Congress can find common ground on the protection of privacy, competition, and American children. Uh I think we'll have an opportunity in upcoming in in an mm-hmm. upcoming episode that we're really excited about that we can't tell you too much about to talk about the policy here. We don't have time to have an extended conversation here. I think the main thing I want to say about this op-ed um, is, to me, I saw this and the first thing I said to Melissa is, "This, this is," speaking as like a political strategist. Uh, this is how a Biden re-election campaign will respond to and counteract the parents matter, parents rights uh, mm-hmm. uh, rhetoric of Yunkin or DeSantis. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is an issue that Biden can say parents need to be empowered here. We need to protect kids. Uh, it, it's it's a it's a common ground message on a theme that I think anyone with clear eyes who's been who has watched our politics over the last two years like if you don't understand that Yunkin and DeSantis are not just appealing to right wing uh, uh, folks who are going to vote Republican no matter what if you don't understand that they're appealing also to swing voters, uh, then I don't know what to tell you. But this uh, op-ed was assigned to me uh, that the folks in charge of Biden's political operation do understand uh, the swing voter appeal and need to address this set of issues. And so I thought that was interesting. Melissa, do you have anything anything to say on this? Again, I think we... We don't have time for like a substantive issue, but interested if you had any thoughts as this. No, popped up.
0: just to tell you the the main thrust uh, in terms of like one of the really interesting areas of this by big tech abuses is that he he thinks that social media companies should be regulated to prevent harms against children. I mean, we've seen data point after data point coming out about the harm that social media is causing for adolescents, especially adolescent girls. Um, and so this is a bipartisan issue, and we just saw this as another. You know, signal a pivot towards 2024, but doing it in 2023 to sort of prepare for 2024 on on Biden's end.
1: Yeah. So, so right, we see all of this. Yep. Republicans were an absolute,
0: Disarray. you know, mess.
1: They were an absolute mess um,
0: for the speaker vote. For the
1: speaker vote, we saw Biden hit fifty. We saw Biden do a bipartisan event with Republican leadership on a bill he signed we saw the immigration moves we saw this kind of move to the center or appeal to republicans and swing voters and you're you know just watching this saying gosh since the midterms what a what a good three months for 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 biden um the decision to run for re-election uh is kind of being made for him or well actually i should give them more credit for that but they've got they've kind of by the success of the last three months you know they've kind of squelched had democrats lost the senate and lost the house by more than they did and biden was pulling instead of at 50 at 40 uh, i don't think you would have had people like gavin newsom saying two years out from the election, no, I'm not running. Um, But but I think Biden's strength is shutting down some of the conversation that could have taken up the first half of 2023 about should he run, should he not. Yeah. Then, Melissa— Everything was looking great for them. I mean, the the all the headlines about Republicans were not all of them, but like eighty percent of headlines about Republicans were awful, negative. Eighty mm-hmm. percent uh, of headlines for Biden were positive, uh, and then
0: everything was coming up roses.
1: Everything was coming up roses, uh, and then the. Um, there is a report that uh, Biden's lawyers found classified uh, documents um, in, um, uh, in Biden's office at the uh, Penn, Think Tank, Penn, at the Penn-Biden Center. Penn Biden Center.
0: That discovered on November twenty. November so yeah, 2nd. yeah,
1: yeah. So dis- So this is where it, you you really have to. You really have to acknowledge. Like conservatives, Republicans have, I think, every right uh, be like, to, huh? to to yeah to be like, huh? Uh, these documents were discovered like a week before the midterm elections. Yep. And it they were took, just as it took. It took. It took. Two months for this to come mm-hmm. out.
0: They were just disclosed this past week.
1: Just disclosed this past week. Um, uh, now, according to reports, the documents were found within 24 hours. They were uh, the Biden's team reached out to National Archives, and the transfer of the documents uh, was made. But uh, and so 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 that report came out a few days later. Came out. More documents were found in another location, in and Biden so Melissa, home. yeah, yeah. Why don't you pick it up from yes. here? Yes.
0: So it was approximately. Again, these are numbers that are being reported, so they could always change. It was reported that uh, ten documents were found on November second at the Penn Biden Center. We were that was just as close as past Monday, and then. Um, more into the week, on Wednesday, we found out that there, that the uh, attorneys were sent up, um, specifically ones with security clearance, were sent up to Biden's home in Wilmington, Delaware, to search his office to see if there was you know anything there. And they fa- it's uh, said that they found another five documents on Wednesday and said that that search was complete. But then the very next day, Thursday, so just a couple, a few days ago, a few more pages were found, and now they're saying it's complete so um we've got basically like three reports out of documents to a total i think of 15 but those extra pages i'm not sure if they're part of the 15 or each page of those five pages are new documents it's not completely clear to me yet but i'm assuming we're going to get more clarity over the next few weeks about this so we have um that many documents being found um being passed over to the national archives and then doj has also appointed, uh, Merrick Garland has appointed a special counsel to investigate that matter, um, former U.S. Attorney Robert Herr. So the DOJ is involved. They assigned a a special counsel. It's being investigated as to what these documents are, what they actually say, what their clearance is, you know, if there are any kind of violations going on. And this is all, again, amidst the DOJ investigation into the hundreds of documents found at Mar-a-Lago Um, Trump's, uh, one of Trump's, you know, residences in Florida. Yeah,
1: right. So this is the, that's the only reason why this has salience.
0: Yep.
1: You know, like this would not have salience outside of the content of these documents being extraordinary or significant on their own. But I mean, it is important for folks to have the context that like, um, It's not like a limited number of documents are classified mm-hmm. and that the only kind of classified documents are like the nuclear codes. No, oh. classification is oh applied to, to so many, seen, so many I've seen uh, documents. I've top secret
0: documents that have like two sentences on them and I have no idea why they're labeled top secret. Right. Like when I was doing FOIA, yeah. And
1: so, um, and so uh, this is significant because uh because the american people have had been hearing for months this story that involved a former president uh having classified documents on his private property and that being worthy of in- investigation like i'm just uh, this is like the top line story like you just got to think like um the the average american uh and really, I shouldn't even say the average American. Uh, anyone who doesn't do this work for a living uh, probably doesn't know all the ins and outs of exactly exactly why was Mar-a-Lago uh, uh, raided. Exactly why uh, is the DOJ, uh, why is there such a significant investigation? Why is there talk about indictments and these kinds of things and so the American people have been hearing that about Trump for months. and then all of a sudden there's a story about Biden and classified documents on his private property. And people are like, "Well, that's the same thing." Mm-hmm. Now, they're very sort of distinct cases, and we could we could walk through and, and maybe we will a bit of why the Biden case is different than the Trump case. But I think my even saying that you're like put on a back foot by saying by by, uh, by saying yes they sound the same but you know they're really they're really different. I think the average person is just saying okay. Um, it seems to me like there's hypocrisy going on, and it seems to me like uh, uh, like this is like partisan. Partisan stuff like mm-hmm. you're saying it's okay for uh, one and not the other. The last thing I'll say, Melissa, before sort of turning it over to you is, and we talk about both the morning five. We talk uh, for as we're prepping for this uh, for this podcast. Um, so much of our news are these, you know, investigations mm-hmm. and. Rumors and so-and-so's chief of staff being accused of this. And for those who listen to this podcast, you, you'll, uh, I, I hope, recognize we don't cover so much of what takes up cable news. <laughs> uh-huh. um, I, Melissa and I are talking all the time about, do you know what? Yes, this was reported I mean, we did it on the Trump case, which is, you know, there seemed to be breaking news, and certainly cable news treated like there was breaking news on the story every half hour. But my approach was um, until we know, like, yes, it's important on the morning five, for instance, if the, if the DOJ launches an investigation to a former president, it's it's it, that is uh, pretty like a. Uh, a historical thing. That doesn't happen all the time. It's important to say there's an investigation going on. But I'm not someone who thinks it's necessarily helpful to follow every turn in these mm-hmm. stories. Yeah. I, For me, like the Trump story, the question I was asking, okay, what's in the documents? Uh, are, are these uh, private notes that he wrote... Uh, that, that, you know, another head of state wrote to him that were classified because it's two head of states talking, mm-hmm. but, but they were, or or is it things that would, or is it, or are they classified documents that would uh, be a real threat to national security or... So, so yeah, I mean, I, I think we just want to... I, I think I, I just want to... Um, we didn't make a big deal out of the out of the trump classified document uh, sort of piece and we don't plan to do so on the Biden piece until we find out if there's reporting about what's in the documents and it turns out that like but I I kind of don't I don't anticipate that frankly I didn't an- anticipate that with 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 Trump and maybe maybe uh, maybe it'll turn out that we should have uh, anticipated that in, in one or both cases but i I kind of like need to see need to see it first before I'm gonna assume that like uh a former president of the United States, whoever it was, was like uh just leaving the nuclear code you know and, and nuclear codes is like a, a euphemism for like something of national security yeah, like, so yeah. so oh so that was a very unfortunate that was a long way of saying. Maybe this has substantive a substantive import. Again, I'll repeat, like, I think if it wasn't for the Trump thing, this doesn't make it on A1 of any newspaper. Um, but because of the Trump story, whether it's a substantive issue, and I, it, you have to say with the DOJ investigation, it's certainly substantive. It may not turn out into anything, but you, you certainly... Uh, as you're gearing up for a re-election campaign, you don't want the DOJ investigating investigating you on anything. Um, but I think mostly it's a political problem, mm-hmm. which it, it, I mean, it's just like the uh, the Clinton email thing, which is like mm-hmm. it just opens up this, this way for people to feel like, well, all politicians are corrupted, like dirty or whatever. And so, you know, if, if, uh, if, Trump or whoever the Republican nominee does something. Well, that's just what all politicians do, uh, and, and so yeah, we're going to see how salient this is for for voters. We'll, but it 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 did complicate our you know Biden <laughs> Biden with starts off twenty twenty three strong story. Uh, like this is going to be in the news for a while. And again, we'll see if it turns out to be something to truly be concerned about, but politically you have to be concerned about it if Polit- you're the Biden White House.
0: Politically, it is going to be used as a battering ram, no matter what the outcome is. Right. Right. <laughs> to yeah, be yeah, frank, yeah. we're going to see, hear this through the last debate in 2024 kind of thing. Like, it's just what it is. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll end, we'll end there for for the episode. Uh, We'll have to see uh, what comes next week if they if they make another discovery. But um, for the sake of national security and all that, let's open not. Yeah, um, we have the Bills tomorrow versus the Dolphins.
1: Yeah, I mean this episode will come out, and uh, yeah, if if you are a subscriber, you'll get this podcast in your uh, on your feed. Uh, the morning of the game, and uh, hopefully, the morning five will just be, f- you know, news items related to the Buffalo Bills. Uh, <laughs> but hey, go Bills, squish go Bills. the fish, squish those fishies. <laughs> I will talk to you next week. Bye. I still want to turn up.
0: Yeah, I still want to turn up.